0: Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now we get the chance to talk to the Chicago White Sox closer. Liam Hendricks joins us on the Alpamante Ford Hotline. Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park on North Avenue or at APFord.com. Liam, how's it going? Good, how are you guys?
1: We're good. It's always fun to talk to, of course, a huge signing, but it's even more fun with your accent. This makes for wonderful radio, Liam. I'm sorry to have to make that journalization off the bat, but it is always fun to talk to somebody with a cool accent, too. Welcome to Chicago. Welcome to spring trading, and we're happy to talk to you.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I mean, it's it's always nice. I mean, you say that now, but just wait until everyone calls in, be like, "I have no idea what he said." Can I get a transcript? Um, then then it's going to be a little bit more of a headache for you guys.
0: No, I liked hearing you screaming at yourself during uh, during drills. And you, uh, some pitch was maybe not exactly located where you wanted, and it was obvious because you you sound like me on the on the driving range. You you don't you don't hold it in when you're uh, with your self criticism.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, if I'm going to be mad at myself, I might as well let everyone else know that I'm mad at myself because, uh, I mean, I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to trick anybody, fool anybody. It's just uh, if I mess up, I mess up, and everybody's going to know about it.
1: I laughed at one of the articles talking about you when you were in Oakland from the uh, NBC affiliate there that broadcast the games, NBC Sports Bay Area, because they talked about that. They said, you know, you can be the affable presence in the clubhouse who I think... Reportedly, can drink up to six cups of Starbucks and then go out there on the mountain and just be a beast.
2: Well, it's uh, it's currently eight twenty-four here, and I'm on my fourth cup, so I mean, six <laughs> is putting it lightly. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, my wife likes to call it white line fever. I'm a different person on the field than I am off the field. It's uh, off the field, I like to be a little bit more kind of happy-go-lucky, enjoying life. And on the field, I want to pretty much go out there and make sure the and embarrass the hitters' families every time. <laughs>
0: How do you sleep after – do you have a tough time coming down from six cups of coffee and actually getting enough REM sleep to be healthy?
2: No, usually I sleep on my stomach. It's just the way I do it. But, um, uh, no, I have no issue sleeping. I actually – every night after the game, night game, whatever, I'll grab a cup of coffee on the way home. It actually helps me sleep. So uh, I'm one of those weird people that can pretty much drink it. I think this is where I get most of my water intake, so it's probably not healthy. (laughs) But <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely more enjoyable.
1: I, I love the energy. It's, your story is really compelling, and I'm glad you brought up your wife, Christy, because I was intrigued hearing that she was on the Zoom calls with you when you were meeting with teams trying to figure out who you wanted to play for this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was that was always going to be something that um, we make a decision as a family because at the end of the day, she's going to be in a strange city just as much as I am, but I get to go to the field. She is going to be at the house. And so making sure that she was comfortable where, uh, wherever we went. And also she heads up a lot of the philanthropic efforts that w- that we do. It's, uh, it's a joint effort. So making sure she was on the call, making sure that she could get connected with someone within the organization that could help uh, Help do our things that we we focus on off the field, and um, so far the White Sox have been fantastic. With that we've already done a couple of things, uh, a few things now with making sure we get some meals out to some first responders and some uh, essential workers, and. Yeah, they've been uh, they've been great with that. But yeah, that's uh, that's all Chrissy. She does a lot of the um, the day to day stuff with all that and uh, making sure that she was comfortable wherever we go was a was a huge deal to me.
0: I know pitching has become so scientific now, with so much at your disposal to understand your spin rate, to see everything slowed down with cameras that seam shifted, wake and everything moving through the air and all the physics involved. And I went through some of the data on your pitches. What happened between twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen? When at least from FanGraphs data, you gained three and a half, 3.4 miles per hour on your fastball. It was like a like flipping a switch. What happened?
2: Uh, I went to the bullpen. To be, I mean, it's just uh, I went to the bullpen, and after the season, I went to the Dominican and and really worked on guys that out there. So I changed my throwing program a little bit. To be, but to be honest, I mean, you look at the uh, progression in 2015. The first couple months, I was still. Anywhere from 90 to 94, I mean, I remember the first time where I, I had like an entire month where I didn't throw a pitch below 90, that was super exciting to me, but that was like maybe June of 2015, so I, you see the progression of that year, I mean, I started the year at 91 to 93, ended the year closer to 96, 97, and it's just, I think I got a little bit more comfortable in my role, and, and also long toss, I started long tossing every single day with uh, my throwing partner at the time, which is Mark Lowe, and uh hearing, like, just seeing guys like that. I mean, he went from the tops and turbs of of, of throwing at the low 90s to the mid-90s, and then that year he was throwing upper 90s, hitting 100 consistently.
1: I love a good comeback story, and yours is an excellent one. After being DFA'd, what was the self-examination you went through and the questions you asked yourself to get to this point where you are now with the biggest free agent signing in baseball? Um, which DFA are you talking about? Because it seems <laughs> Fair enough. Whichever one that I think um, just gave you the, the most pause.
2: The biggest one for me was the one where I cleared. Because the, the first four, I went from the Twins to the Cubs, Cubs to the Orioles, Orioles to the Blue Jays, and then I uh, got traded to the Royals, and then I went Royals back to the Blue Jays after being DFA'd again. So um, the biggest one for me was the last one, the one with Oakland where I cleared, because I was in AAA. I wasn't sure how, what my career trajectory was going to look like. I wasn't sure if this was going to be the last year or who, what, what was going to happen. So I went down and said, look, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my terms. I'm not going to be told by any organization to dictate the way I warm up, the way I prepare for anything. I'm going to go out and, and do me. And I went and long toss, which I felt like I had done in the past, a couple of years that I was throwing harder, a couple years I had more success. And what I did growing up in Australia was I threw all the time. So if I didn't feel good, I just kept throwing until it felt good. And that was a program that had seemed to work for me and a lot of long toss and a lot of, uh, kind of, uh, and I, I used a lot of different resources. So I used an actual, uh, a, a tarot card reader called Ruby and she found, like she was able to kind of get a couple of things into my head that realized that I was thinking very negatively upon every situation where it was always like, well, why did this happen to me? Not how do I get past this or anything like that? I took a positive mindset into absolutely everything and now it's, uh, you you don't think I can do this? Watch me, and that's that's my kind of game plan coming at every season.
0: Where did you find Ruby the tarot reader?
2: Uh, so that would be my wife again. She's uh, she's going to be a common theme in everything that has come successfully in my life. Aww. But um, she was on Instagram, and Sarah Hyland, who plays yeah. Uh, yeah from Modern Family, so she had posted about Ruby. Chrissy had just DM'd her and be like, "Look, she's a celebrity." Tara, I'd really like. She's going to be too busy, but Ruby got back to us straight away, and they built a friendship to the point where uh, we last Thanksgiving, or not last Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving before that, we went to Disney with Ruby. Uh, we had her and her husband over, like, or her and her future husband over, and uh, yes, yeah, so we we have built that relationship to the point where pretty much we have a text going just as as friends now. It's more of a a friendship rather than a business proposition, which is uh, which is fantastic.
1: Can you give me an example of maybe one of the positive things that you told yourself that maybe would have been negative previously?
2: So in previous years, I would like, especially going into the, uh, into an at bat, it would be okay. Like this guy is really good at this. So I need to make sure I throw a perfect pitch and I need to make sure that this hitter can do this well. Now it's, uh, I don't care what he does. Well, what does he suck at? And that's what I'm going to approach. And it's just those little like tweaks where it's, you almost give yourself more room for error by not focusing on what they're good at because that gives you a very minimal place to kind of put a pitch rather than, okay, where do I have the most room for error? Let's attack that part. And then it's um, yeah, it kind of completely changed everything. And now I look at it and I'm on the mound now and I don't care who's in the box. I'm better than them and let me prove it.
1: The self-talk and, and just that visualization and the realization for pitchers on the mound is so crucial. You've talked about it. Your teammate, Lucas Giolito talks about his visu- visualization and the process he goes through. And he's also a comeback story. What do you think of what he's done to get to his point now that you're his teammate?
2: I mean, obviously you've seen what he was uh, like doing. He was a first rounder for a reason, but then it kind of got to the point where he was, I think, and, and he'll tell you this, he was overly concerned with certain numbers coming into so, it. So he didn't focus on anything else. He was just throwing about as throwing as hard as he possibly could and, and not really focusing on everything else. And, I mean, you talk to him about Ethan and what he was able to do with his career is just shortening that arm up and and getting a little bit more deception in there, which means that you don't have to try and throw everything as as hard as you possibly can because you can finagle the pitch around, you can manipulate it a little bit more, and you're going to have more success with with being able to tunnel the pitch rather than just throwing as hard as you can. But I'm a big proponent of, uh, it's called fig jam. Mm -hmm. It is, um, I mean, I'm not going to say the first word, but just ask me. And it's something that I've kind of realized that like, I don't care what anybody else says about me. I know that whatever they say negatively about me, I'm going to use that as fuel and whatever they say positive about me, I'm going to use that as fuel as well to make sure I don't disappoint. Because I mean, I, I'll tell you as much as anything, I can get complacent when it's consistently positive, consistently positive. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm set. I'm all right. And I don't, I never want to get complacent. That's why, like, even with everything I do, I'm, I'm not considered the closer right now. I'm trying to make this team is first and foremost. And then I'm going to try and move to the point where I can make sure that I absolutely earn the closest role on this team and Nothing's going to be given to me. i got to make sure I go out there and own absolutely everything.
0: So you say the closers role. There are some interesting forces at work right here. One is the understanding of leverage moments in modern baseball, where sometimes the game's decided with with two on and two out in the fifth. And just because the ninth inning is the last inning, it may not be where the high leverage moments come. Countervailing that would be the fact that your manager, Tony La Russa, is maybe the creator of the ninth inning closer. He is. He was significant in making that a role. How are these things going to balance, and how do you expect to be used?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously I've told them, like, I'm ready for any situation whatsoever. Uh, it doesn't matter what inning, doesn't matter what anything like that. But, I mean, anybody who's thrown the ninth inning will tell you that those last three outs, no matter the leverage situation, no matter what's going on, the last three outs are some of the hardest outs in baseball to get um then it shows i mean you see how many times it's like a guy who come in with runners on and everything like that they're able to get out of it but then all of a sudden they get that opportunity to get into the ninth inning and it it just changes it's whether it's a mindset thing whether it's the the importance of making sure that you're the last line of defense or whatever it is it's uh yeah i mean i'm, I'm up for anything like if they want to throw me in the fifth inning with a couple guys on i'm all for it i'll be out there and i'll be ready to go and uh if i'm in the ninth inning i'm in the ninth inning and The good thing is with this bullpen, you can pretty much chop and change every single person there, whether it be the long guy, whether it be the the middle relievers, whether it be the high leverage guys, whether it be the high leverage lefties. I mean, we've got got enough guys in this bullpen as it projects out now that you can pretty much chop and change absolutely everybody. I mean, who knows by the end of the season, depending on how everyone else is doing, I could end up being the long guy because these guys are doing way better than I am. Who knows?
1: But well, I understand the bullpen philosophy for the teams that you talked to was a huge part of your interview process with them and the potential to win a World Series. What were your takeaways from the White Sox in those areas?
2: Uh, obviously, having Tony was a big big thing for me. I've dealt with Tony with our animal rescue uh, efforts in, in the Bay Area with his uh, animal his uh, rescue foundation out there. So that was um, a thing for me. But I knew Tony be, just because of like what he'd done for Dennis Eckersley back with the A's when he kind of – almost invented the uh, the closer's role. So obviously he is a proponent of that. Um, and talking with guys, is like, look, they just they just want to get everybody better. There's no, um, if they, they're going to let me kind of do my own thing, if this is something that I believe in, that's it's something that has worked for me in the past, and they're trying to reinvent the wheel with every player, they're trying to uh, get whatever they can best out of them. But if a guy is like a little bit more along the lines of me, where it's I've gotten gotten into that routine where I don't need to kind of go out and make sure I'm, throwing weights around the gym or doing anything like that it's uh it's a pretty open scheme which is good for me i wanted to deal with ethan who's a little bit more of the new age mixed with tony which is more of the old school which is uh which is a vibe that i think is uh, is important these days i think too many people got into the the analytics too much and it kind of detracted from the way of the that guys in the game where it's there's certain things where the numbers all line up and this is what's going to happen but you have that gut feeling that "No, no no let's let's that gut feeling is what has gotten a lot of teams rings in the past. It has not always been analytics.
0: We're talking with Liam Hendricks, the White Sox closer here on Sports Radio 670, The Score. Before we let you go, I have a little game that I want to play with you. And this is because for many, many years, uh, two decades plus of of whatever show that I've done, we've had a non-sports segment where we do odd news and stories often involving animals. And one of the themes of this segment and its various iterations has been people being killed or nearly killed by by animals in Australia. And just because there's so many things there that can kill you. And I've got a list of the animals that have been part of stories that we've done on these airwaves. And I'll name the... And you just tell me if you or anybody you know has had any kind of interaction, positively or negatively, with any of the following. I will start with Great White Shark.
2: Uh, Not that I know of, but there's been a couple in my area. Like, uh, I live on the beach on the coast in Perth, so there's been some attacks down there, but... No one that I know personally, because it's you guys only hear about the attacks. You never hear about the ones that just don't attack.
0: Fair, <laughs> well, okay. Next up, funnel web spider.
2: Uh, not personally, but I mean, it's these are the stories that you grow up with. I mean, it's uh, the funnel web, the, the huntsmans, They um, they're not really like, uh, yeah, they they'll do they'll scare you a little bit, but they're they're pretty much harmless if you stay out of their way.
0: Okay, any crocodile issues?
2: uh no no crocodile issues i mean uh that's a little bit more inland when it's a little swampier rather than just straight up ocean
0: all right the next two are straight up ocean blue ringed octopus
2: no that was a whole that was a lot bigger of an issue when you're in school when you thought they were going to be a big issue (laughs) but they turned out they're just yeah you don't really run into them too often you'll get stung by a regular jellyfish and then panic when you're about eight but other than that you're fine
0: okay that's the next one was box jellyfish
2: No, boxes ones like I don't know anyone personally that's had anything to do with that, but that's one of the ones that you'd really have to watch out for because they're clear, because they have uh, some. uh, They 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 tend to be a little bit more. Around where we are, but no, I haven't heard anybody who's had any issues personally. But um, yeah, that's that's one of the ones you actually do have to watch out for.
0: The last two or more terrestrial. There was a story about a bird called a cassowary that has a cl- <laughs> a claw like a velociraptor that that, that, that it disemboweled somebody. Any cassowary related issues?
2: No, but if you ever Google a cassowary, it's like a turkey crossed with an emu that is just pissed off at the world. <laughs>
0: That could be a nickname for you between the white lines then, perhaps. And the last one that we have, it could be either the eastern or the western brown snake.
2: No, we, um, I mean, as kids, you kind of, you run around a little bit and you'll see some snakes running around, but most of them are harmless. Um, You've got to be careful of certain ones, obviously. But yeah, I mean, uh, the only snake story I've ever heard was a guy who I've I've played with in the past who uh, had a an issue in arizona during spring training one year and that was about it but uh other than that i haven't you know, there's not too many people like uh, all this stuff in australia gets blown out of proportion because apparently every american over there goes there and gets attacked by something <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe that just means that I mean, I mean just maybe the americans need to watch out a little bit more than the australians because i like we haven't run into too many issues other than the random kangaroo jumping down a road
1: that's. I mean, that's still pretty entertaining. You've got to appreciate at least the respect for the wildlife. We know that. Oh they can yeah, be I a mean, and it, it,
2: it's <laughs> like with anything that is dangerous or semi-dangerous or has the opinion of being dangerous. It's you got to respect everything about it, and you give the land its due respect; it's going to respect you back.
0: Liam, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, continued good health, and uh, go get them.
2: I right, appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me.